Well, I think that his legacy is going to be it's going to be a complicated one, and I think people can still recognize that Audubon was a brilliant artist, uh, a good for his time ornithologist, scientist, but that this issue of Audubon as a slaveholder simply can't be dismissed. There's an Audubon that people want him to be, uh, and there's the Audubon that he is or was. Welcome to Forum Beyond the Pages, the podcast that tells the stories behind the stories of Florida Humanities award-winning magazine. I'm Andrew Quintana. In our inaugural season of this new podcast, we'll be speaking to the writers who penned the articles in our fall 2023 environmental issue of Forum, This Land We Love. This week, historian and author Gregory Nobles discusses his article, Audubon Revisited. Can you separate the art from the artist? It's a question many people have been asking in recent years. It seems like now more than ever, there's a greater awareness of how our language and actions can affect others. This period of reflection has caused us to look back and rethink how we remember prominent figures of history, even if that person's name is associated with so much good. When you hear the name John James Audubon, you probably think of his artwork or the beloved conservation group named after the naturalist. However, in this era of reflection, historians have revealed that Audubon the person did not share the same virtuous moral compass his artwork inspired. In fact, Audubon the person was a slaveholder who often wrote about his racist views. In his story for the fall 2023 issue of Forum magazine, noted Audubon biographer Gregory Nobles tries to understand his subject's tarnished legacy. Gregory Nobles is a professor of history at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. He is the author of John James Audubon, The Nature of the American Woodsman, and more recently, The Education of Betsy Stockton, An Odyssey of Slavery and Freedom. This story is a little tricky, not because of the subject matter, but because it's a story that forces readers to really rethink how they view a historical figure, especially one that's had so much good attached to their name. How did you approach dealing with that contradiction when you set out to write the story? Well, I think we're having to rethink a lot of historical figures, uh, some of whom have a lot of good attached to them. It's not just John James Audubon in that regard. And I think there's been a bit of a a personal journey for me in this, too. I started this Audubon project quite some number of years ago, thinking uh, that it was going to be just, uh, well, not a a walk in the park by any means, but uh, most of my work uh, up to that point had been on period between the American Revolution and the Civil War, bracketed by two big moments of uh, warfare and violence. And a lot of my work had been about social conflict and political conflict. And at one point, I thought, you know, maybe I'll just do something else for a while. Uh, I'll look at Audubon. Uh, because I happen to be a, a birder. Uh, I happen to have admired Audubon's work. And I thought, well, this will be interesting, kind of art history and science and you know ornithology, frankly, uh, in, the, in the 19th century. I wasn't really expecting to get into uh, a situation that involved social and political conflict. But over time, there it was. I, I, that's what I, I, I found. And especially as I began to look into Audubon, yeah, as a man of science, but also um, as a, a man who dealt with questions of race in early 19th century America, which was a very, uh, obviously, touchy topic, as it still is, very sensitive topic. And so I began with a sense of Audubon as just a character I thought would be interesting to work on. And then after some time, uh, as I actually did the research and wrote the book and then did some subsequent writing about Audubon afterwards, I began to say, well, this is a much more complicated story. Uh, It's not just kind of a 
art and nature feel-good story about a talented guy, but there's this other aspect to it. And so I think I became transformed. I began to transform my thinking about Audubon. And yeah, I have to deal with some uh, some complications, perhaps one might say some contradictions. With everything we now know today about the man, I feel like we should probably take a moment to give background as to who he was previously. Who is the Audubon everyone remember? Sure. Uh, just very quickly, a little bit of biographical information. He was born in 1785 in Saint-Domingue, which is now Haiti. As a young boy, he was sent by his father, Jean Audubon, a French ship captain and plantation owner in, in Saint-Domingue, sent back to France to Nantes, where he grew up. Uh, Nantes was the main uh, slave trading center in France, uh, and so Audubon, as a, as a young man, grew up surrounded by that. But in 1803, his father sends him to the United States, uh, first of all, to get him out of Napoleon's army, uh, and second of all, to manage a farm that the, his father owned uh, in Pennsylvania. And that's where really the Audubon American story begins. Uh, he uh, was not very successful at running the family farm. Uh, he went to Louisville, Kentucky, opened a store, uh, didn't do too well there, went to Henderson, Kentucky, opened another store. Uh, like a lot of people in 1819, he went bankrupt. And at about that time, he decided uh, that he was going to become uh, a bird artist, that he was going to make uh, producing images of all the birds in America, a remarkably ambitious project, that that was going to be his life's work. And so in the 1820s, uh, he begins bringing all of his bird images together and deciding he's going to publish a book a huge book, a four-volume book, it turns out to be, The Birds of America. And yet I think most people know Audubon by those bird images, by The Birds of America. Uh, some people have had the good fortune to see the original versions uh, in libraries and sometimes in, in uh, uh, galleries. By the 20th century, and I think actually the late 19th century, synonymous with, with bird art. If you ask anybody who is the best bird artist in America, they would no doubt say, John James Audubon, certainly the most famous. And then uh, by the early part of the 20th century, really the latter part of the 19th century, there's the creation of the Audubon societies. And I say societies plural because some were local societies. Uh, the National Audubon Society didn't come into existence until 1905. I, I want to point out Audubon himself had nothing to do with the creation of, of the Audubon Society. Again, he died in 1851. The first Audubon societies came into existence in the 1880s and then the National in 1905. Of course, Forum Magazine being a magazine about Florida history, culture, heritage. I was curious about the Florida connection that Audubon had since he's such a nationally known figure. Well, he traveled in Florida in the early 1830s, 1831, and into the winter and spring of 1832, and then again briefly in 1837. Florida was, of course, a natural place because of the uh, the abundance of uh, certainly shorebirds uh, and other kind of species you're not going to find anywhere else, at least anywhere else Audubon went. He didn't live there. He usually lived with friends. And so his Florida period was short. But I think uh, the birds that he found in Florida uh, are striking. And again, especially the larger birds. And so it was a, just a, a remarkable place for him. And, and for a man whose ambition, ambition was to capture the image of every bird in America, in North America, Florida was just uh, an abundant resource for Audubon. And yet, despite all the work that he did, your story kind of reveals that the issues with his character were hiding in plain sight. 
I think you illustrate that really well in the opening paragraph of the story. Well, Audubon is out uh, looking for pelicans, brown pelicans, and he's going out in the crack of dawn on a, a day in December of 1831. Uh, he's going in a canoe uh, that is paddled by some what he calls hands or black men. Uh, they're actually enslaved men. Uh, they go out and he's shooting at the pelicans, uh, downs a couple, the rest of them fly away, but he's disappointed because he liked to shoot birds uh, also in abundance. And the enslaved men who were paddling the boat and perhaps loading his gun, are in the background, at least in the narrative. They're kind of on the sides. They're almost almost invisible. And I think a reader might see it and focus on Audubon and the pelicans and the gun and the water and not really pay much attention to those men who were actually paddling the boat. I think the reason I picked that particular story because it shows Audubon at work and doing so in the wild, in the rivers of Florida, and doing so with the, the help of uh, men who were uh, not free. And I think putting his work and, frankly, their work together in the same picture, and his status as a famous uh, white American and their status as enslaved Black Americans really begins to ask us, or at least allow us, to start looking at that story a little bit differently. Your story also brings up the many times that Audubon provided his own unsavory take, I would say, about slavery and abolition. Where did you find these journal entries and how readily available was this information? Well, in the process of writing about Audubon, I read a lot of his correspondence. Some of it had been published. Some was in archives. Uh, You know, I want to be very clear in Audubon's talking about abolition, his opposed his opposition to the abolitionist movement. He didn't do so in a very public manner. He did not speak out as some gentlemen of science did. Uh, he did write about that in his private correspondence. And he writes to his wife at one point about uh, he thinks that the abolitionist movement in, in Great Britain is going uh, too fast, too far. It's all premature. You can't let these people free. They're not ready for it, of course. And so I, I don't want to portray Audubon as a uh, as an aggressive spokesman for the anti-abolitionist pro-slavery position, but he did take a private stand, and of course he enslaved people himself, and that's taking a stand in, in support of slavery. When did the public perception start to change? I've always I've always known Audubon by the organizations that bear his name and the work, the good work they do. When was there a period of reflection where people started recognizing the ugly side of his character? Well, at least with regard to race and slavery, I think we're in that period of reflection right now. I, I think that a good deal began to change, not just about Audubon, but about other historical figures, not simply in the summer of 2020 in the wake of the uh, George Floyd murder. But I think that particular incident and that particular summer brought a lot of attention to a number of historical figures, Audubon being one. I wrote a piece for Audubon magazine that summer about Audubon as a slaveholder, as an opponent of of abolition. And some other people have picked that up. Again, it's one of those issues that's been, as I put it, hiding in plain sight. A lot of his earlier biographies pointed out that, yes, indeed, he did own enslaved people, but they kind of went past and never really stopped to uh, say much about that. What, in your opinion, what do you think the future holds for Audubon's legacy and the countless organizations that still have his name attached to them? Well, I think 
think that his legacy is going to be, as you mentioned earlier in the in the conversation, it's going to be a complicated one. And I think people can still recognize that Audubon was a brilliant artist, uh, a good for his time ornithologist, scientist, but that this issue of Audubon as a slaveholder simply can't be dismissed. There's an Audubon that people want him to be, uh, and there's the Audubon that he is or was. I think a lot of people, as I mentioned a moment ago, would rather not be bothered with this information about his background as a, as a person, his background regarding questions of race and slavery. And again, they'd rather put those in the historical past and deal with Audubon uh, in the present. Yeah, I suppose I've been surprised that so many people are so resistant to thinking about Audubon and his less savory uh, behaviors and, and beliefs, and so resistant to the idea of uh, changing the name of the national or indeed the local Audubon societies. You know, I, I think in terms of our American iconography, uh, all the statues that are being uh, removed, all the names that are being changed in organizations and on buildings and so forth, uh, that meets a lot of resistance. And I'm struck, perhaps not surprised, but struck by how strong that resistance is and how impatient many people feel with those, including those of us, people like myself, frankly, who are asking to look very carefully at these issues and think about them, not necessarily to dictate uh, a solution or a response, but at least to think more carefully, more critically about some of these complicated and contradictory figures in the past and how we then put them uh, in our own present and think about them for the future. Gregory Nobles on his story, Autobahn Revisited. Forum Beyond the Pages is produced by Florida Humanities. Our music was created by Tampa Bay Area musician JJ Padishall. You can follow him on Instagram at JJ Padishall Music. Want to get the latest issue of Forum delivered to your door three times a year? Become a Florida Humanities member by visiting floridahumanities.org forward slash membership. Until next time.